0: such an opportune time to gather data and to make sense of it and to use it um, so our students can prosper throughout the whole year. If we don't assess in multiple languages now, we will have again um, diminished the the importance of multiple languages and we'll have lost a, a prime opportunity.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores how we can help make an impact on our nation's highest growing student demographic, multilingual learners. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. How might we seize the opportunity of a new school year as a chance to gather information on multilingual learners, specifically the learning they may have accomplished in languages other than English? How can teachers who aren't comfortable speaking languages other than English facilitate and support their students' learning in their home languages? What strategies can educators use to provide feedback to their students in the most meaningful and supportive ways? We discuss these questions and much more in part two of our two-part series with Dr. Margot Gottlieb, author of the new book, Classroom Assessment in Multiple Languages, and co-founder and lead developer for WIDA at the Wisconsin Center for Education Research at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. For Margot's full bio and a blog post full of takeaways from our two-part series, visit elevationeducation.com slash community. And if you missed part one of our conversation and you want to listen, you can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. Here's part two of our conversation with Dr. Margot Gottlieb. So let's dive into, you know, one of the things that I think is a gold standard and some folks in some schools and some just sort of organic kind of partnerships are doing this really well is the idea of bringing multiple stakeholders together whether those are groups of teachers whether they're teachers and, and families whatever the case may be um and particularly bringing students into the into the process in fact i'm chatting with somebody today just later today I have two podcast interviews today, which is exciting, about this, about bringing students in to talk about their goals and using data to say, here's where I am now, here's where I want to get. And I feel like as we kick off the new school year, this is a, a perfect time to, to sort of gather student input. So I'd love for you to talk with us about why uh, why this works, first of all, um, and how educators can go about doing it. Because again, like now is a time where it's sort of developing these habits, the new year starting. Um we, we really wanna to get to know our students and how do we get them to be a part of this process?
0: Thank you, Steve, for even bringing up the subject because it's such an opportune time to gather data and to make sense of it and to use it um, so our students can prosper throughout the whole year. If we don't assess in multiple languages now, we will have again um, diminished the the importance of multiple languages and will have lost a a prime opportunity. A tremendous amount of information in all the students' languages can be gathered at the beginning of the year as part of the enrollment process, as part of initial screening for placement purposes, even for determining baseline data. And as you said, multilingual learners are gonna be supplying that information. You don't have to feel responsible for saying, oh my gosh, I don't know Hindi. I don't know Mandarin. I'm not very proficient in Spanish. What Mm -hmm. am I gonna be able to do? How can I make sense of this? Um, I think the pandemic and all the other crises have drawn us all together. And so we must advantage our growing interconnectedness Um, through assessment at the beginning of the school year, because the majority of of our multilingual learners have been communicating in languages other than English. Um, And we want to ascertain the extent to which, for example, multilingual learners' exposure to literacy and oracy in languages other than English are happening outside of school because they're going to bring that to school Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. we have to jumpstart this school year. So if we know where our students are, um, research has told us that literacy is going to transfer. We know that. So if we start off the year having a sense that this child has strong literacy in a language other than English, that child is already advantaged in being able to pursue literacy in other languages. Right. So- What I think is important is that we gain insight into our multilingual learners, not only language, but their conceptual development through student self-assessment. And there's so many ways we can do this. We can give them an interest survey. Hopefully that's been translated. So uh, if they aren't fully proficient in English, they can say, what are their interests outside of school? What are their passions? What what do they wanna pursue? Um, Where do they wanna go? Who's important to them? Who do they talk to? Um, And also to think about their language use in multiple contexts, with whom, when, where, um, which languages are language or even the use of translanguaging that's becoming more and more um, pervasive and Mm -hmm. accepted across schooling, um, how that can be used as a way of uh, springboarding um, curriculum for the upcoming year. You shouldn't be saying, okay, here's my pacing guide. I'm gonna start on day one. Rather, it's important to start where the students are and what they're bringing. Um, To me, that's so critical. So the beginning of a new school year, it's ideal um, to collect content-based oral and written language samples that might have a universal appeal for students. I think my book, I put in a picture of a beautiful sunset every child has seen a sunset or interpreted as a sunrise. What, how, what does it mean to you? If you're five years old or 15 years old, what feelings does it evoke? What experiences that they um, have encountered that they could relate to you? Uh, and, and this is so easy to do in multiple languages. And if in fact, the student speaks multiple languages, you're gonna have multiple languages in the community. And some of that community hopefully will be represented in that school. So you have built in network of people to rely on.
1: Yeah. You just added another layer, which I think is a great layer to add in. I mean, a a school is a community within a community. And if that community isn't representing the outside community, you know, you you probably have a problem and something you need to address. (laughs) Hopefully that's not the case. And most places do have that. You, you just, and, and everything that you just mentioned, you just brought up a very common and sort of, I think, legitimate concern in some cases that educators have, especially those who may be new to working with multilingual learners, of which there are many. Demographics are shifting, teachers are going to different places. There are teachers who, you know, have been teaching for 10, 15 years and all of a sudden now they're they have the the privilege and the and the uh, exciting um, uh, uh, opportunity to work with, you know, multilingual learners. But they're 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 and you address it in the book head on. Like there's a quote says, but I only speak English. Someone needs to translate, which I really appreciate that that's in there. And that's the way that you set it up. There's a problem and then there's a possible solution. Wh- what do you say to someone and you addressed it in the book, but what do you say to someone who brings that up? If I ask you that question, like, wh- like, so let me just, let me just like kind of get, give you a little bit more texture and context. You, you want to, this is a, this is a, uh, somebody who's a good teacher, who's doing the right thing, who wants the best for students. It's a legitimate concern they have. So you
0: you need
1: to think about like, what, how, you know, how do I respect and appreciate this, this teacher's concern and also give them a way forward?
0: What I think what's missing in this equation is that all educators must trust our multilingual learners in their pursuit of learning and to facilitate that learning so that their language, conceptual, and social-emotional development is always on display. And both multilingual learners and teachers can agree as to where they are and where to go next. As I've said before, and I'm going to reiterate here, is that you don't have to be bilingual or multilingual to leverage multilingual learners' linguistic assets. Okay, understandably in schools throughout the US, there's hundreds of languages represented. And, and as you said, teachers can't do it all. We, un, we know that teachers have so much responsibility. So why don't you abdicate a little and give it to your students? Um, there's a theory out there of gradual release of responsibility. You're mm-hmm. not gonna start day one and say, okay, kids, It's a new school year. What are we gonna do and how are we gonna get there? Um, But again, uh, the teacher starts as a facilitator and gradually gives students more and more um, based on their individual um, abilities and capabilities, uh, gives them more and more um, ways in which they can pursue learning. So teachers and students understand that indeed, um, we can get there and always are honored. I think that's important. Um, and part of that is that our multilingual learners will have opportunities to gauge with one another. And in doing so, they'll have choices. And we have to honor the choices of multilingual learners along the way. So even if a product or a project Um, at the end of a unit, which is more, you know, um, accountable than everyday assessment. Even though that's required in English, because it's going to be a common assessment, let's say, Mm -hmm. um, as I mentioned before, there should be multiple ways to attain that end. And so think about, to the extent feasible, how multilingual learners should be able to listen to audio tapes, or watch videos in one or more languages. And, and that has just skyrocketed um, the, with the, the greater use of technology. Right. Um, so the initial information gathering process or a research question can be pursued in languages other than English, even sketching out or drawing a mural, um, working with their peers, Um, And with that, with the use of that student's other or partner language, they'll be able to gain more confidence in themselves. Again, part of their identity formation. Um, They'll have more effectiveness in language use in addition to that of English. So as research has shown then, going back to some of the social emotional um, variables, the more students are motivated to learn, the higher they're going to achieve. Right. So learning and assessment are integrally tied together.
1: Yeah, well, I I don't have much to to add to that. I would I would encourage people to go back and listen to that again because you just laid out um I think a lot of really high-quality information and there's there's again there's even more in the book there about a concern that we started with this which is if I don't speak the language how am I going to um to serve these students, and you just laid out a lot there. I think if somebody were to continue pushing back on your uh, everything that you just said, they might go to the next piece, which is providing feedback. So you've gotten to a point like where you know you've had some success in implementing a lot of the strategies that we've discussed so far, and that you discuss in the book. We're, we're a school district where now we're giving assessments in multiple languages. We're pretty, we're pretty good there. And now it's time to look at results. So thinking about that pushback, what, doesn't that present giving feedback, a whole new set of challenges and how do we, how do we set ourselves up for success when it comes to giving, because that's such a key part of that of assessment. I mean, that's like, that's almost everything is the feedback piece.
0: I wouldn't say necessarily their challenges per se, um, if we've centered assessment around our students and they've had voice in the design along the way and they are familiar with and, have, and teachers have modeled, for example, criteria of success. If they're familiar with all these expectations for learning then multilingual learners themselves should be vested in the process. And so they should take feedback in a positive light. So if feedback, and we know this again through research, um, if it's concrete, if it's timely, if it's based on agreed upon criteria, um, if it's something students are familiar with, then multilingual learners will have that insight and they'll be able to um, know where they stand and know where they can use that feedback um, to push their learning forward. So feedback can take many forms though, and we know that. Um, What I would say feedback is not is a stoplight or a happy face that doesn't give you meaningful information that you can act on. Feedback must be actionable as well. Um, Hopefully most feedback is in a standards reference um, form and everyone is aware of that learning target, which again is standard reference. So there's a one-to-one correlate there um and that's needed for students to reach their destination just saying excellent or good and it goes back to assigning a grade Mm -hmm. what does that mean to you as a student how do you translate that as a teacher um so we know that research most importantly there's two and i haven't mentioned anybody yet but john hattie um and dylan william has done a tremendous amount of research. John Hattie with his meta-analysis um, and Dylan William with his quote, formative assessment, which he's now abandoned for assessment for learning. Just where you go.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> they tell us that it's feedback. It isn't grades that that is going to impact learning and they, they both of them now are stressing assessment for learning as being integral to the assessment cycle both of them and many others them and uh, say that assessment is a process it isn't an event a test is an event given one point in time assessment is a process it's iterative so for everyday classroom assessment i would say Feedback from peers also is important, um, especially if that peer has the same partner language um, that will be helpful to assessment as learning. So if, and then if everyone's familiar and aware of what constitutes success, the language of the feedback shouldn't make a difference, should it? <laughs> Um, especially if we couple it with one other piece that I'm really not going to um, delve into, but the use of multiple modalities, the use of multi-literacies. We've expanded the world over the last decade, 15 years. Um, UDL, the universal design for mm-hmm. learning, all these elements are converging so that our students are making meaning and of their own learning through multiple um, venues.
1: Right. Yeah, you know, and I, you, you've said a couple times throughout this conversation, uh, the idea of a grade being somewhat of kind of an arbitrary piece, and you're definitely preaching to the choir with me. I mean, for years as a teacher, that was something that drove me crazy. And I was a, I was a high school Spanish teacher. Um, and I, 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 can't I just- Claro que sí, pero, yeah, but I was thinking, you know, que today? you know, now note that, what does it serve, right? Like, if you're just giving somebody a grade and the motivation is that grade, then where's the learning, right? So that's a, that was always a big problem with me with assessment. Everything we've talked about today has kind of pushed against that, particularly as we, as we uh, kind of cycled through over and over again, the as for and of learning. So I guess that, like, what I'm getting to here is wrapping up this, this conversation. When you and I last talked, and it was a while ago, it was back in May, I think, um, we, we talked briefly about, about how we educate multilingual learners moving forward. Um, and I think we actually like talked about, I think part of our conversation was like, do we, do we get into kind of the, the weeds and the tension about like how much does this change and what do we want to happen? Um, we've had a tremendous year and a half of learning, of struggle, but certainly of, of learning. And I think in some ways of, of being inspired by really unpredictable um, events.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What is, and I guess I'll use the grades as kind of like a, like a cornerstone of this, like a grade as you've just talked about, you talked about the research is an arbitrary thing to give when it comes to assessment. What's your prediction on something like that? And, and maybe some other things changing when it comes to multilingual learners, given what we've been through. Will we, my biggest, I think, concern is that we go back to the status quo because muscle memory comes back, right? And, and, and we just kind of go back to how it was because it's comfortable or whatever the case may be. Or, or do we use this disruption as a catalyst for pushing the envelope, which is what you sort of talked about when we last talked in May. How do we push the envelope? Um, on student learning and outcomes. I'd love to hear, I mean, I guess a prediction isn't super valuable, but I guess it's more, it's more about how do we use this to kind of, to, to do push the envelope, to, to make learning and teaching and learning better, particularly for multilingual learners.
0: What you say is so relevant, um, but I don't want to leave saying that grades aren't important they still are high stakes when it comes to forming a GPA and a GPA impacts your ability to meet eligibility requirements for a whole host of different things, especially in high school. So I'm not going to say that it's irrelevant when I'm trying to say it could be better. Our whole system could be better. Um, Standards referencing is one way. It isn't the only way. And I'm very hopeful that we've left the status quo behind and we've emerged from these crises or the last year and a half. We're more resilient, we're stronger. Um, we indeed, because it's been um, said so many times, we, I would think as a society, <laughs> are more empathetic. Um, we're better able to embrace the languages and cultures of our multilingual learners, and we can leverage. Um, their assets, which in hindsight, we have not been able to do. We've maybe honored them, we valued them, but we haven't been able to leverage them. So, in, in being forward thinking, what I think we have to do is let assessment continue to be more reflective of our multilingual learners. Um, as you said, pushing it in more linguistically and culturally sustainable ways. Um, We want to make sure that the strengths of our multilingual learners aren't aren't just acknowledged, but embedded within curriculum instruction and assessment from the beginning. Right now, if we're lucky, it's retrofitted into what's already in place. We we have a new beginning. Let's take advantage of it. understanding that it isn't just multilingual learners, but for all learners, um, they should propel or help propel their own learning. Um, It's a trend that we're seeing and it's growing. So if educators can accept this principle, then we should let multilingual learners take the lead in providing evidence of their learning in the language of their choice.
1: Yeah, well said. And a way to kind of bring it back, I think, to the to the main point of the of the conversation that we've had. We we've, you know, what what's amazed me about this conversation is that the the crux of it has been really about we we're going to talk about assessment, right? And we have. But we've also, I think, touched on almost every other topic that you could possibly think about and connected it to assessment, which, which, which I'm very happy about because I think that's that's kind of um, the, the key the key point here uh, the key takeaway or one of the key takeaways so as we wrap up and i like i i have i have very mixed feelings about ending this conversation because there's so much more we could talk about but at the same time i'm i'm i'm, I'm very hyper aware of people's time um I'd love for you to tell us how people can learn more about the work you're doing. Um, I have the book, I'll show the book here, uh, Thank you. (laughs) that that I would highly recommend. It's really, and again, I did not read the entire thing, but I, I went through it. And there's lots of valuable information there. So I highly recommend it. So, um, I know people can get the book, but what are other ways that people can learn about the work that you're doing? And we'll link to, uh, where you can get the book as well.
0: Thank you. I appreciate, um, your support. But I admit it, I'm not very technologically savvy, so I don't have a website. I'm not on social media, Uh, although I'm trying to learn. I I am a neophyte at tweeting these days. (laughs) Uh, What I can say is that um, Corwin has been tremendously supportive of all my crazy ideas over the years. Um, And so they are my primary publisher of my books. Uh, I have a presence in a lot of educational and assessment encyclopedias, you know, having written chapters and articles and hopefully made a positive contribution to the field. Um, And if you want to contact me, I'm always up early. So no problem (laughs) with that.
1: (laughs) Great. We share that in common as well. and last question is the question that I ask everyone. Um, we have this nice little library of books and resources that folks have recommended. So I'd love to, to get your take on if there is a book or a film or anything, any other resource that has impacted you, either personally or professionally or both that you'd like to share with listeners.
0: Given our conversation, I think you'll be able to guess that my first inspiration are my colleagues at WIDA. <laughs> yep. They're people because they've been so helpful in helping me solidify my thinking. Um, But also all the folks that I've met over the years um, in the international testing community, Um, they're really stewards of the field as well. Um, And they have given me the the strength to pursue very unique um, perspective in terms of assessment. So equally influential, influential, and this started off with my dissertation, as a matter of fact, is that I've always been motivated by the pervasive inequities that have characterized large scale achievement testing for multilingual learners um, that have failed to take into account anything um, of importance about these student populations. So I guess I would say these injustices have really, you know, illustrate to me That indeed, the richness of data that are collected by classroom teachers should be able to supersede sometimes, not all the time, but in some instances, um, count, entre comillas, as we say in Spanish, um, as being very important um, to making sound decisions about multilingual learners. Lastly, I'll give you the name of a book that inspired me in my early graduate work. And that happened to be Thomas Kuhn's classic, The Structure of Scientific Revol- Revelation, uh, Revolutions. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it.
1: I'm not, I'm not.
0: But what it did was, and he's a philosopher more than anything else. It explained the nature of paradigm shifts. And how we go about seeking stability, but every once in a while, our world is jolted by a revolution or a new paradigm. And just as we've all undergone a more recent paradigm shift, I think it's really apropos that I bring in Thomas Kuhn right now, um, because returning to the status quo is not going to be an option.
1: Yeah. I'm glad you brought that book up. One because I've never read it, and two, it sounds like you said um, highly relevant. And I'm also glad you brought up all the people um, and the experiences over time because I think that's hugely important um, on uh, for for any kind of success. And clearly, um, you know, you're very well respected in the field and had some success. And um, and the fact that you're kind of paying it forward to those other folks, I think, is is really admirable. Um, and I would just like to say before we, before we end, it has been an absolute pleasure uh, learning with you. I said before we started to click the record that I have this unique opportunity to be able to, to showcase, um, these, the, the experts and the people that I bring on everybody from students to, to researchers, to teachers, and it's really a privilege. And, and today was, um, was, was, was a really exciting one because we talked about something that I think deserves more attention. Um, and we tied it to everything else. And so I'm really, um, grateful for your time and for your expertise and and just for for having the opportunity to sit down and chat with you for about an hour. So much appreciated.
0: And I thoroughly enjoyed my time with you.
1: Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.